Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Hi, my name is Katie. I'm new to investing. I've been doing it since August. And my question is, when do I know the right time to take profits? And provides unbiased answers. Well, this is the age-old question, the most difficult question most investors have. Buying is easy. Selling is the hard part. And the reason it's hard for most people is because they don't have a plan. Invest Talk, over 36 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, December 15th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. And we are moving into the final couple of weeks of the year. And uh, there's a lot to, to discuss as we head into 2022, especially with the Fed meeting today. You had a bit of a sell the rumor, buy the news type of event, which uh, I'll get into a little bit more in depth as we go along um, uh, this hour. But before that, I want to correct something from Monday. We had a caller ask about uh, the wash rule and being able to sell your stock in a taxable account for a loss and then go and buy it back, go buying it in a taxable or a tax deferred account like a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA or something like that. Well, I did a little research. I didn't know the answer. It sounded plausible, um, but in fact, that actually violates the wash rule. You cannot own it again within the next 30 days. Otherwise, that loss is no longer applicable. So, um, I just want to correct that before we dig in. And hey, you know, this is why I, I hate tax questions. Um, I'm not a CPA. Tax changes. Uh, there's intricacies of the tax code that are um, are unique to everyone's situation, their own tax rate. Uh, the, the tax code changes regularly. And only really CPAs, tax advisors, they keep up with that stuff. I'm an investment-focused uh, advisor. That's our main job is help understand risk versus reward in the investment world. And taxes come into some play, but uh, make sure anytime you are thinking about taxes, make sure you talk with a CPA, a tax advisor that really knows your particular situation. So I wanted to cover that before we really dig in for this hour. Now, in today's program and podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. And that's my assurance to you that on this podcast, I am going to operate with my mission statement always, which is independent thinking and shared success. I'm not Kramer. I'm not going to push the latest narrative on a particular sector or or company. I'm here to give you as much of a balanced view as I can. Pros and cons of all different types of asset classes, investments. And that's something that you need to do for yourself as well is understand where your where where this particular asset might lie within your broader strategy portfolio risk tolerance level etc and and my job is to give you the 
both of those sides so that you can make an informed decision, help make an informed decision. I'm one, I'm one outlet, one person with a lot of experience, but my opinion is simply my opinion. And you should never rely on one person's, one uh, article's opinion about whether or not you should buy or sell a particular security. It's taking all the evidence. And here I'm giving, I, I put up, I have a lot of data. I have a lot of information to distill to you, a lot of perspective to give to you. And that doesn't mean I'm always going to be correct. And that's why you need to do your own research and make sure that you understand your decision and why you're making a decision, not just because somebody says it on a show or you read it in an article or you saw it on TV. You should never make an investment decision that way. Never. Okay. So I am here to help guide you, bring you along in our success and give you unbiased information, perspective, and facts. So I'm Justin Klein. Of course, I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape this show to whatever is on your mind. So I encourage you to interact with me right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time. Or you can leave a question on our anytime voice bank. As always, that number never changes. It's still 888 chart So let's get right to our first listener question now. We're going to go to Harry in Santa Clara looking at Costco. Oh, hey, Justin. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Um, yeah, I have a question about Costco. I've been looking to uh, buy this and add to my portfolio for, for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, would like to get your take on um, on making this a core holding um, for like eight, seven to ten years long. Uh, and what would be a good entry point? Um, I see that it's kind of priced a little much higher than compared to the, the rest of the folks in that same sector. So... What, what, what is your take in terms of the entry point for this? Yeah, well, I think Costco is a great long-term buy-and-hold company. They have, And when you're looking at owning a company, like you said, 7, 10 years plus, that's what you want to consider is the growth of the company, but also the profitability of the company. And Costco is very consistently profitable. And that's what you want to look at. Is what is return on assets, return on equity, profit margins. Are those consistently high or are they consistently volatile? Well, Costco is consistently strong and rising. And so I, I think Costco is a great company to be on your watch list for long-term buy and hold. The problem is here, like you said, this is a bit pricey. Right now, it's trading at about 37 times earnings. Enterprise value to EBITDA is 27 times, which historically is as pricey as it's been since, let me take a look here, 1993, when it was really a growth company back then. And that's my issue here is our value is closer to $350 per share. Now it's closer to $550 per share. Actually, today closed up 3%, $565 per share. So I would be patient on it. Absolutely should be on everybody's watch list for a potential buy, uh, maybe sentiment shifts in Costco, whatever it is, their franchise, I think is stable. Um, but I do think it is overvalued at this point. And I would be very patient on picking up shares at these levels. So 
Keep on your watch list, but don't pick it up yet. Now we're moving into a break. I'm here right now taking your calls live. And this is how you shape the show. Is when you call in and bring your questions, bring your concerns, bring your, your story. I never I, I would love to hear stories, uh, good and bad, of success stories, of failure stories. A lot I think that is not discussed nearly enough. Uh, in in media, uh, between investors, and it's okay to share your success, share your failures, and oftentimes that will teach many people about uh, what to do or what not to do. And so uh, your stories would be good too. So whatever is on your mind, give us a call, 888-99-CHART. We are counting down the days First Christmas, and then New Year's. You may have completed your gift shopping, but you might still have unanswered finance and investment questions. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are on duty and ready to provide their unbiased answers. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Let's head over to Wisconsin, and we're going to talk to Kyle looking at L-Y-B, one of the largest chemical producers in the world. Lion Dell Basil, do you own it or looking to buy it? Own it in the IRA and contemplating on adding. Okay. Contemplating on adding. Well, Lion Dell Basil Industry is a petrochemical producer with operations here in the U.S. as well as Europe. And it is... A major producer of polyethylene, which goes into making plastics. It's the world's largest producer of polypropylene and the second largest producer of propylene propylene oxide. Uh, And these all have various industrial applications. And it's a very large company, $28 billion market cap. And let me take a look at some of their longer-term profitability metrics. Return on assets right now is 16%. Uh, that is rebound from uh, COVID lows, but historically this does average in the the mid teens, which uh, I really like. Uh, let me take a look at the chart here and give you a trend because really the issue here is the chart. Uh, it is in a downtrend and down two bucks today, uh, and that's my struggle. Is you had a good, good day in the market, a rebound didn't quite rebound as uh, as well. And his around support right around uh, $85. So close to 87 and change today. Um, you know, I think it's about fairly valued. I think it's, it's a good company, um, but I don't love the downtrend that it's in. And yeah, I, I would, I would be a bit patient. Now it is, like I said, fairly valued. It's not overvalued now. Um, longer term, this is a decent price, uh, but I think you're, you're likely to see, a continued grind lower um, here in the in the near term. So I would be looking to pick it up, but I wouldn't be aggressive here. Um, if you get back below, let me give you a level where I'd be more aggressive on it. Uh, probably closer to $75. I think that's an area that gets me uh, more excited about picking it up, which is about 15% lower than it is today. So I like what you're looking at. Good company. Consistent profitability, consistent cash flows and dividends, um, but in a downtrend. And that makes me patient on the name. 
Okay. Let's go to Dan in Walnut Creek looking at BHP. Hey, Justin. How are you yeah. doing today? Doing well. You uh, you own BHP or looking yeah. to buy it? Yeah, I've got a small position, but I was thinking of buying some more. And um, projected earnings look pretty good um, for next year anyway. Um, and the uh, projected you know, PE ratio looks pretty good as well. They've got a real big dividend, and I didn't know if what you thought about the prospect of growth for this and if that dividend is safe. Well, the issue here, uh, along with Vale, they both have big dividends. A lot of people are going to probably get sucked into that. And the issue is that they're mainly focused on metallurgical uh, coal uh, as well as heating coal. And they're an Australian company. And because of basically China banning imports of metallurgical coal from Australia, or I think any coal from Australia, their business has been hit and earnings are expected to drop 21% next year. Uh, And so that's really the the main issue here is what's going to happen with the Chinese property sector. Uh, That's definitely a, a big risk. And I would say technically it still looks relatively weak. Now I, it will, it is undervalued if it can maintain an earnings level north of 5% for an extended period, sorry, sorry, $5 per share uh, for an extended period of time. The problem is, is that uh, pre pandemic was earning $3 and 14 cents. So how's that going to change? Now I do, I do like that they are uh, fairly well diversified between uh, they have, uh, also have some oil assets, some gas assets, um, other minerals. And so that's, uh, to me, the thing that makes me a bit more excited, the fact that they're not just reliant on the coal industry, although they're uh, heavily reliant, I will say that. Uh, and the dividend yield uh, at 10% is not going to be sustainable if their, their earnings drop uh, precipitously. And you know that, that's already started. And so I would be a bit patient. They did increase that dividend uh, during COVID. um, And I think that's going to come back down to earth. So um, I I like it, but know that it's extremely high risk. And don't be chasing it just for the dividend because that dividend definitely could be in jeopardy. Thanks for the call. Now we're heading into a break, but my Invest Talk phone lines are open for whatever is on your mind. And I know today's market with the Fed meeting uh, and having a big rally after the Fed meeting probably for a lot of you was perplexing. And there were a lot of market gyrations. So I'm sure there were some questions that that sparked for for your potential investments, maybe your current investments. And I'm here to answer all those questions and I'm ready. So give me a call, 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline how homeowners can cash out when mortgage rates are rising and American homeowners are sitting on a record amount of home equity. 
and it's increased about 32% year over year. And by the end of the third quarter, borrowers had $9.4 trillion in tappable home equity collectively. Remember, tappable is you, when, you, when you maybe do a cash-out refinance, which we'll talk about in a second, you need to have 20% equity. So not including that 20% uh, cushion, how much could homeowners pull out and still have that 20% cushion? Well, it is $9.4 trillion. Uh, and so that's 178000 per borrower. I think that's a number that uh, I think is more applicable, more, means more uh, to everyone out there. So this cash, uh, this available cash climbed because bar and borrowers took out equity from their homes during their quarter at the highest rate in 14 years. So not only is that equity uh, increasing, but borrowers are increasingly tapping it as well. And one of the big reasons is because interest rates are very low. About 24% of all first lien mortgages have an interest rate below 3% now. So the, the refinancing boom has, has pushed a lot of people's mortgages well below that 3% mark. And borrowers can draw on this line of credit. Uh, so, so there's two options. First is doing a HELOC or a cash out refinance. Now, if you do a HELOC, you can borrow that money for about uh, typically about 10 years. And then after that, you have to start paying the, the money back. Uh, and so that's, that's, the, that's the issue is how do you balance a, a HELOC versus a cash out refinancing? And a lot of that has to do with the timeline of paying off the debt, uh, the interest rate that you're going to get on those loans, how much you're looking to borrow, et cetera. And so you have to really run the numbers. Now, if it's a small amount and you're likely to pay off that, be able to pay, pay that off in a short period of time, call it two to three years, then a HELOC probably makes sense. Because if you're doing a cash out refinancing, there's cost to that. There, there's, more, uh, there's more closing costs and points that you might pay, et cetera. Uh, and you don't want to pay those costs for taking out a small amount of money or if you're just going to pay that back in a short period of time. Yes, you'll get a lower rate typically by doing a cash out refinancing, but all the other things that go into it uh, may not make sense if it's just a small dollar amount. Now, if you're looking for to pay off a bunch of debt and you, you know that you're not going to pay this off in a long, uh, in a short period of time, well, you want to get a lower interest rate. So a lot of people do this by uh, consolidating credit cards and car loans and, and other things that have much higher interest rates than, than 3%. And so that's how you, you really want to think about it. So if it's short-term, relatively small dollar amount, maybe you're doing something quick with it, but you're going to be able to pay that off in the next two to three years, go with the HELOC. But if you're not going to, and you're trying to just lower overall uh, interest rate that you're paying on all of your, your debt, then you definitely want to go with a cash out refinance. You pay a little more upfront cost, but over time, that lower interest rate is going to be uh, an advantage. And the, 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 the fixed nature of it with the HELOC, it can be variable. It's often variable once you pass the five-year mark, seven-year or a certain, certain marker. Um, it depends on what HELOC you're getting and what your bank is giving you, et cetera. 
Uh, but uh, getting that low fixed rate is uh, of a cash out is often very good. That's why you don't want to uh, have a HELOC and, and not pay it off of, uh, within a few years because you don't want to be subject to a big increase in the interest rate. That's why a lot of people uh, defaulted back in, in 08. Okay. And then you have the Fed looking to raise interest rates. And so you need to be prepared for that. And having that low fixed rate uh, over the longer term is probably a good idea for some people. Now let's keep things moving and pivot back to the Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on an 888-99 chart. Hey guys, it's Dylan from Brooklyn. Uh, I have a question today about ticker TT, Train Technologies. You know, last week a caller was asking about uh, a carbon credit ETF, and I know Justin said he likes the space, but he likes the companies that are going to receive the benefit of the actual carbon credit themselves. So I went out there and did my research, and Train looked like a good one. Uh, they got a nice dividend. I'm wondering what you guys think a good entry could be or if there's better options out there. Thanks, guys. Hope to hear an answer soon. All right. This is Train Technologies, manufactures climate control units and products that increase uh, industrial productivity and efficiency. So, yeah, I, I, I like uh, a company in this space, especially with the cost of energy going up and climate goals. One of the one way that you can reach climate goals, not just by moving in your energy production to uh, green sources, but also what about just using less energy? And if there are ways that you, there are climate control systems that it looks like train uh, makes, maybe it's uh, making sure lights are, are turned off uh, when there's no activity, et cetera. All those things can make a, a building greener. And uh, so I like this name. Now it is a bit expensive. Our fair value is around $125 a share. Now it's at 200, uh, but I like what you're looking at. I would keep this on your watch list, okay? Now we're heading to a break. I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. 8899 chart 8992 Now let's touch a bit on the commercial real estate market. And there's a shift going on. And the shift is going to have, I think, major market ramifications longer term for certain types of companies. And that has to do with the office. Now What's happening, and this has really never happened until now, is that a lot of these suburban office buildings are being demolished and turned into e-commerce warehouses and logistics facilities. And this is because those that used to commute daily are often working from home. Now, Newly built skyscrapers in big urban centers, those are likely to remain very attractive. But older buildings, outdated buildings, they're harder to lease. And oftentimes they're being sold or repurposed. Why? Because 
hey, if it's an older building, do you want to spend the money and uh, millions and millions of dollars to renovate and update uh, when it comes to technologies and, and amenities and compete with these newer buildings? And there's been a lot over the past uh, five, seven years being built. Are you in an environment where so there's so much uncertainty around working from home and the demand? Now, in New York and San Francisco, more than 80% of all office space is more than 30 years old. And Chicago's pretty, pretty close to that as well. And these three cities have some of the lowest office occupancy rates in the country. Less than 40% of the workforce is back in the office as of early December. There's a company called Bridge, which is buying up a lot of these office properties in a number of major U.S. cities and turning them into distribution facilities. So doesn't mean these buildings don't have other purposes, but oftentimes they're being repurposed for industrial use as opposed to commercial office use. Now, even before the pandemic, there were office buildings that were being in, in, in large cities that were being converted to hotels, apartments. That's accelerating. Now, it doesn't mean every company is making this decision. PricewaterhouseCooper, for example, they gave their 40,000 client-facing employees the option of working from home. Only 20% opted to do so. The rest still wanted to work on site with clients uh, multiple days a week. Maybe not going in every day, but multiple days. And so the flexibility, smaller offices, more flexible workspace, I think that is the future of office. What's interesting here is a company that we all heard of, WeWork. They struggled. They were too ambitious. But I actually think their model is becoming more acceptable and more applicable for today's environment. Now, I'm not saying you go out and buy WeWork. It is public now via SPAC. But it is interesting to see this shift. And when, so when you're looking at REITs, uh, you're looking at a company like WeWork. All of these commercial real estate plays. You have to take that in mind. Have that top of mind to make sure that you're not uh, swimming against the tide. Okay, So I wanted to highlight that for you so you're thinking about that next time you're looking at various sectors that are going to be affected. Now, as you know, Steve and I welcome live calls, but we always find time to blend in caller questions that came in earlier on our, on our 24-hour voice bank. That number, as always, is 888-99-CHARTS. Let's play one right now. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is CJ calling in from Connecticut. I was looking to get your opinion on stock ticker ET, Energy Transfer LP. I recently saw it come up on my radar because of some large insider purchases and was wondering what you think about it for the long term. Um, it, been recently paying a dividend and has a low P.E. ratio. I was looking to add it to my Roth IRA. I listened to your answer on the podcast. Thank you very much. All right. Looking at uh, Energy Transfer Partners. So you're talking about in a Roth IRA. 
Here's the issue. This is a limited partnership. And if you earn, I believe, once again, this is referring to your, your tax advisor, I believe it's $1,000 a year in income from these limited partnerships, then you have to file a separate tax return. Remember, money or dividends that are paid out from a, a limited partner, like an MLP, Master Limited Partnership, or in this case, the Limited Partnership, that money is taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. Okay, so you have to understand that this is, there, there are tax complications here with something like this. And you want to avoid that if you can. Yeah, you're getting 7%, but you can go get 7% in, a, in another stock that is not a limited partnership, that is paying you qualified dividends. You don't have that complexity in your Roth IRA. So that's first off. Now, if you're comfortable with that tax situation, then you have to look at the business. There, there this is energy transfer. They are engaged in natural gas, midstream, liquid transportation, and storage business here in the United States. So they are a midstream streamer. They have infrastructure to move natural gas, crude oil, natural gas liquids, primarily in Texas and the U.S. mid-continent region. Has about 22 trillion British thermal units per day of natural gas running through its pipelines and 4.3 million barrels per day of crude oil. It also has gathering and processing facilities and one of the largest fractionation facilities in the U.S. So it's pretty large, $22 billion. The issue here is debt. They have a lot of debt. $22 billion market cap, $45 billion, $45 billion in debt. So a lot of leverage here, which is not uncommon. So, you know, it is cheap. I will say that. It is inexpensive. I could see why insiders are buying it, but I don't like that limited partnership aspect and I don't like the amount of debt. I just think there's better within the industry. Now, I like the industry. I like this because the demand for natural gas, the supply of natural gas and oil pumping through that region is likely to be consistent. And they're a profitable company and they pay a nice dividend. But the dividend is coming at the cost of adding more and more debt on their balance sheet. And I don't like companies that do that. I don't like companies that have to issue debt to continue the dividend. It's not my cup of tea. So I'm going to pass on ET and look for others within the industry, especially within a Roth IRA. Look for ones that pay qualified dividends. And every now and then, it is fun to play two in a row. So here comes another Invest Talk caller question from 888 chart Hey, Stephen, Justin. This is Jason out of Houston, longtime listener. I was calling because I have a question about Sika Ag Corp. Uh, that's ticker symbol S-X-Y-A-Y. I bought a while back and have made about 15% on it. I'm not really sure if it's something that I uh, want to stay in or, or if it's something that I should start taking off the top. If you can, just give me what you think about it and whether I should stay in it or maybe even possibly add some more into it. Thanks. All right, this is Sika Manufacturers, and they are a specialty chemical company. The majority of the revenues come from the construction industry, and 
primarily used in bonding and sealing. It produces additives for concrete, sealants for roofing and flooring, waterproofing system, lightweight components for automotive and wind generation industries. And they're well diversified. They have business in Europe, Middle East, Africa, here in the Americas, uh, Asia Pacific. They're a very global business, $57 billion market cap. And I'm going to say, I like this. I, I don't know why you would be unhappy. The chart looks very strong. Their return in equity over the long term has been just simply on the rise since 2012 when it was about 12%, which isn't bad. 2011, 12 uh, timeframe was around 12%. Now it's up to 32%. Even pre-pandemic, they were up to 31, uh, yeah, 35%, excuse me. And so they have very minimal debt. It's not cheap, I would say, at this point. Enterprise value is 30. That's a bit high uh, for my liking. But I love the business. I think it's a very good business. And I think it can be continuous in demand. I like these type of companies. Uh, once again, from a valuation perspective, it's not cheap. But it's a very, very good company. So, uh, and, and the chart's fine. So I might have a stop on it. I may not add to it up here. But it's definitely a company if you want international exposure. Like I said, they're very global. And so uh, if you want international exposure, this is the type of name that you'd want to own. So I would be a hold here. Definitely wouldn't sell it. Now the clock is ticking down towards the end of 2021. And at this point, most investors may have uh, some work to do with regards to their balancing their portfolio, creating a proper strategy. And so I think it's worth taking a minute to make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley at our client-facing company, KP Financial. We're based in Irvine, California, which, if you don't know, is a little bit south of LA. We remind you that here on Invest Talk and at our company, we offer the same philosophy, independent thinking, shared success. We're going to bring you along with our, our success and we do that by practicing parallel investing. We invest right alongside our clients. So when we buy a percentage of a particular portfolio for clients in a particular stock, we buy it for ourselves at the same price, same day, et cetera. So if you want to set up a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings or send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial offices in Irvine at 800 557 Five four six one. Love to help you in any way. This is Invest Talk. Steve and I thank you for downloading our podcast and telling your friends about it as well. We'll play another caller question in one minute. So hang on. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Your rating is a vote of confidence that leads to higher visibility and causes more people to discover and listen to Invest Talk. So please tell your friends and family members about the free Invest Talk downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Remember to include your brief question when you review and rate on iTunes. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24-7. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART.
Hi, this is Mad Miami. I'm just hoping you could take a look at ticker symbol OKE. This is a energy company that looks into natural gases. Notice they had a couple infrastructure projects that they're getting back into, and the numbers look pretty strong going forward. Dividend also looks really healthy. Let me know what your thoughts are on this, and have a great rest of your day. All right, looking at OKE, this is, I never know how to say it. Is it One Oak, Oni Oak? I, I, I really don't know. It doesn't really matter. What they do is they're engaged in natural gas and natural gas liquid, liquid gathering and processing in the Rocky Mountain region. And this is a name that we do own for clients. So I have to say, I like it. Uh, we've owned it for a while now. Pays a nice consistent dividend of about 6.3%. They've been increasing that dividend as well, which is always nice. Uh, and their debt ratio compared to, this is kind of similar to energy transfer, which was uh, which we talked about before. Uh, but this is not a limited partnership. It pays qualified dividends. And their debt levels are much more modest. $26 billion market cap, which I think is similar to where energy transfers was. But they only have about $14 billion in debt. Energy transfers has something like uh, $45 billion. So way, way more levered there uh, than here. And that's what we like is the stronger balance sheet, consistent profitability. Like you said, their, their infrastructure projects are, are, are also, uh, they're, they're investing in their business, which we really like. And so uh, our value is still higher than here. Now, I would say um, it's getting closer to fair value than where we, uh, where we originally bought it. But um, definitely a fan of, of one oak and a lot of these uh, pipeline companies uh, remember when you when governments are trying to phase out coal which they've been doing for a while successfully the natural replacement is going to be natural gas so historically been it's not anything new okay and so the demand for power stations for natural gas is going to be higher especially when you have more cars turning to electric that energy doesn't just magically appear. It has to be produced somewhere, a power plant. And so the base load power demands are going to be higher. They have been higher. And then you have another uh, factor, which I think is foolish, and eventually we're going to turn the other way, but phasing out nuclear. Nuclear is going to have to be a part of a carbon-free future, a low-carbon future. Uh, and right now, politicians haven't figured that out, but I think they eventually will. Uh, but until then, natural gas will be in strong demand. Now we're heading into a break. And on the next Invest Talk, we'll tackle the story as executive stock sales hit records. The SEC is considering stricter regulations to ensure CEOs aren't buying and selling their own shares. Steve, we'll get to that story tomorrow. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart. Hi, this is Dan from New York. I have a question pertaining to Etsy, E T S Y in company. Thinking about taking a position in it, I'm not sure if it's a fair value, but I do like its business model. What do you think a target price to get in would be if it is a good idea to get in at all? 
Thank you very much. I look forward to hearing the answer on the podcast. All right, looking at Etsy, and this is a website where you can buy and sell vintage and craft goods. And 2020, they did about $10.3 billion in gross merchandising volume, which is really a lot. One of the largest players in the e-commerce space. And its stock has gone up accordingly. It low in March of last year was around $29 per share, and it hit a high, 52-week high, of $307 and change. Now it's down 25% to $229 per share. And I actually think this is the perfect example of two things. A company whose growth was extrapolated forward. In through 2020, their revenue growth was up 100-plus percent each quarter. Well, guess what? Last quarter, revenue's up 18%. Earnings down 11%. This is the exact type of company you do not want to buy in this environment. Remember, these people were staying at home. They had plenty of time on their hands to make craft goods and sell them on something like Etsy. They also had a lot of money and time to sit on a, a, a website like Etsy and find things for their home where they moved into a larger home and they and they wanted uh, a nicer thing, new, newer things. Uh, and there was a lot more demand for physical products. Once again, we talked about this, the shift towards more consumption of services versus products. And so I actually think this is a fantastic short trading at very high multiples, talking about 15 times revenue. 64 times forward earnings. Absolutely, I would not touch this name. Now, we're just about ready to wrap up today's podcast, but we have one time for one more caller question from our 24-hour listener line at 888 chart Hi, my name is Katie. I'm new to investing. I've been doing it since August. And my question is, when do I know the right time to take profits? I would appreciate any advice on guidelines or principles I should follow as far as when to sell because I do want to keep all the gains and I want the potential gains and I also don't want to lose what I have. So thank you. Well, this is the age old question. The most difficult question most investors have. Buying is easy. Selling is the hard part. And the reason it's hard for most people is because they don't have a plan. So first is when you buy a name, you need to have a target price, an idea of what you think the company is worth. And then you need to be monitoring the company and seeing if changes in their business, changes in the underlying economy are changing your potential valuation, not just because the stock moved higher or lower, but because there's actually changes in the business. Okay, so that's first is having a target price and then updating that target price regularly. And when it gets to that price, you need to have the discipline to rebalance. Maybe bring, if you're up on it, bring it back down to a reasonable percentage of your portfolio, a, a, a target level. And that goes back to the second thing, which is asset allocation. 
You need to have a plan for your portfolio. You need to know, I want to have X amount in this sector. X amount in that sector because of some underlying economic conditions. For example, if you think the economy is going to get stronger, remain strong, you're going to be want, be want to be invested in more cyclical names. You need to have exposure to more cyclical parts of the market, industrials, financials, consumer cyclicals, commodities. If you are unsure about the, the economy, you think it's going to slow, well, then you want to be in REITs and utilities, uh, maybe more medical companies, things like that. And you need to understand a broad asset allocation and strategy and implement it. So when it goes to selling, you have to don't look at it in and of itself always, but also the bigger picture. So you have to look at it from two perspectives, your broad asset allocation and then your target value and goal for that particular stock. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Now, with nearly 37 million, should cross that mark here this week. Thanks to you. Get your downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.